Welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows. One of the shows that we have up on air and online 24-7 here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word centerlefttalkradio.com. That's our homepage. You go there. You know the story. There are two links on that page. The first is to our podcast feed. This show, the very show you're listening to right now, if you're checking the podcast feed at the same time, uh, would be the first show at the top of that list. There's about 40 or I think about 50 shows that are on that list. Our 50 most recent, we've done over 800 at this point over the course of the last six plus years. Uh, the second link is our radio loop. No, that's not a bunch of shows. That's just one. The same show that's at the top of the uh, the podcast list. This show, if you happen to be listening to it right now. And that show is running, as the name would suggest, in a loop. And when you click on it, you uh, when you do the electronic equivalent of the rather analog uh, uh, effort made to turn on a radio show. Well, kind of like turning it on, but you click on it. It's electronic. It's digital. But you pick it up wherever in the show it happens to be, and that's definitely an analog sort of experience. Listen in, stay with it, go to the end. And, wow, I wonder what preceded the stuff I was listening to. Well, you're in luck because in about three seconds after the show ends... It starts all over again. It's in a loop, one way or the other. Oh, and of course, you can also find us wherever you find your podcast, wherever you go. Look for Center Left Radio. No matter how you are finding us, no matter how you have found us, we're happy to have you with us. It is the 20th of June, the year 2023, the penultimate day of um, of spring, where we're well, the and the last uh, the last moments uh, before we hit the uh, summer solstice, the longest day of the year. I'm I'm well aware of the fact that by now that by 5 a.m. and I'm up definitely by 5 a.m. Uh, getting this ready for you. Um, there is plenty of uh, apparent light in the sky. No, it's not a bright sky. But uh, the rosy-fingered dawn, as Homer, or whoever Homer was, or whoever, whoever's, plural, Homer was, going back into the, uh, into the Odyssey, uh, and, and, uh, and, and some semblance of uh, first light as poets and others have been wont to call it. It's in the sky. I mean, it's there, and you know it's coming. And of course, the end of the day is going to have the same kind of effect, but in reverse, and it'll mean that there's some kind of light in the sky until after 9 p.m. The bottom line being, we've swung at this point a full six hours in the amount of sunlight We've gotten six additional hours of sunlight today and tomorrow, let's say. There'll be a difference of maybe two or three minutes in that, in that course of the day. Um, it, when you compare it to the amount of sunlight we got here at 41 degrees north latitude back on December 21st of last year, it's a subtle thing. It creeps up on you. It changes, but it's always, always changing. I've, I think I've, I've, I've gone out of my way to use the analogy before. It's the perfect analogy to life generally, uh, that it is in a perpetual state of change, even though if we decide to, to snapshot it as we, as we tend to, in, in certainly in media and certainly in political events, we we have this need to take this 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 rolling roving train, this this ongoing process that's that's in perpetual flux, 
and we just want to be able to get our arms around it at any given moment. And that's, that snapshot then becomes the thing that we either agree with or rant and rave with or we are absolutely elated by, losing track of the fact that it'll change again in some noticeable form if we're willing to track it long enough before you know it. It's just the nature of our political structure. So, so we live in this tension of wanting to have all the information and all the explanations and all of the meaningfulness about what we're observing at this moment. We want all of that now. The one thing that we don't seem to ever, ever want is an answer that says, well, you can't have an answer. You're going to have to wait and see how this evolves. That, that's the one unacceptable in most of our dialogue and our political, di certainly in our political dialogue these days. You're gonna have to wait and see where it goes. No, I can't give you a final statement about anything. And we're just gonna have to see where this winds up. Now, that, that's hard. That's hard. Um, we, we have this need to, to make an absolute statement about stuff, and especially in our political realm right now. Uh, Donald, uh, you're bad, you're very bad, you're terrible, and you should, we should be able to, geez, we should be able to uh, convict you right about now. We, we, we should be able to, um, we, we should be able to put you away at this point. And all of the forces needed to make a final decision about your legal disposition, well, they should just sort of come into play immediately. Or uh, there, there, there should be uh, some realization on the part of the electorate that you are what you are, and, and therefore everybody should be prepared to vote against you because, well, eventually rationality and rational thought will have to come into play. And, and we should be able to make that decision today. Everyone, the courts, uh, the, the Department of Justice, everyone should be able to look at where you are and look at where we are politically and make a decision right now and make it stick and be done with all of this. But you see, we're not going to be done with all of this anytime soon. Uh, and, I, and I was reminded of that fact so, so clearly, yesterday in particular. Uh, there was a series of, there was, well, there was a major article that came out. I believe it came out in the Washington Post. Uh, I think Carol Lenig had, is Carol with the post or the, oh geez, I keep forgetting. But Carol Lenig anyway came out with this article. And after any, after a significant time spent uh, resource, resourcing her, her sources uh, within the Department of Justice, she was able to say conclusively that there was a tremendous amount of uncertainty and resistance about going right at Trump after January 6th of 2021. Okay, more, you know, something like, what are we talking about? 24, 20, 20, uh, 29 months ago, when the insurrection took place, when uh, all of those things that we saw spelled out uh, in the January 6th committee hearing that this stuff was not, was not being simultaneously investigated by the DOJ. Now, th there, were, there was talk about that constantly. There, there was always some kind of parenthetical or, or it appears as though Merrick Garland is, is resisting this. There's not, no great certainty as to how this is playing out right now within the department. That, that was how it was put. But Carol Lenig has now 
made it definitive. She has the sources. She has the information. There was flat out resistance. There was don't go there <clears throat> was what Merrick Garland and the, and the DOJ was putting out there. While there was a great deal of, of controversy within DOJ about that very position, that very directive coming down from the top. Why was Merrick Garland resistant to going after what, what, the, what the congressional committee showed to be obvious criminal activity, uh, what, what, was, uh, what their investigators were able to get out of people who were close to Trump by virtue of congressional subpoenas. Those, the subpoenas coming from the DOJ could not have been played with. Those would have been uh, instantaneous, they had to be complied with. Look at what happened even with, with Trump's attorneys now at this point with the uh, documents case. The strength of the documents case at this point really is largely, its, its greatest strength has come from the information that's come directly from Donald's attorneys. You could never have gotten Donald's attorneys active attorneys to testify before the Congressional Committee. My God, how much sooner might we have done this part of it, and how much faster might we have been, been or how much further might we be to getting to trial on the real nasty, nasty Donald crap, the January 6th, leading the January 6th insurrection, if in fact, the DOJ had decided to actively pursue it. What was the reason? And again, this has been presented a thousand times over as well, that Merrick Garland, by nature a very, very systematic, very conservative, and I, I use that word personality-wise, and I use that judicial temperament-wise, a very conservative person, not pushing the boundaries, wanting to do it absolutely by the book, wanting to do it the right way. He had at least enough of a sense in his head that pursuing Trump criminally right after the events happened and not going up the... You, you, you can make an excuse on this, by the way. Here, here's how the excuse works, if you want to make a, a legal excuse. Well, we have to go up the chain, the food chain, as it were, from the lowest commissions of crime, that being the people who raided the Capitol, the people who basically bashed things down, who, who left uh, you know, piles of their of their own excrement in Nancy Pelosi's office, all of those, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the, the QAnon shaman, the, all these people. We have to pursue all those, and we'll gradually work our way up the chain. There's a, a rough analogy between that and your standard mob boss, uh, you know, investigation leading to the mob boss at some point. But here, there appears to have been an absolute unwillingness. So the rationale being, or at least what, 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 what verbiage Carol Lennig could get out of people, was that Merrick Garland felt as though he would be perceived as taking a, as, as initiating a political, a pol or a politically motivated investigation. He allowed himself to think of how people might look at that, at, at how some people might look at what he was doing and feel that that was politically motivated. He basically was worried about public opinion. And, and, and in so doing, and, and, and this point was made in, in some of the commentary I heard on this story yesterday, in so doing, he took an extremely Democratic Party position. Uh, we, we, as Democrats, as people who are center and left of center and anywhere down the spectrum, we traditionally care about doing things. We, we have this thing about doing things the right way. And, and part of doing things the right way includes not wanting to be perceived doing things 
the wrong way. Giving a damn about how we're perceived. It's in the democratic DNA. And, and I mean this very seriously. This is, uh, I, I didn't mean that as a chuckle line. This is really how Democrats tend to think. There is, there is a, there is a almost reflexive need to consider what the audience on all sides will be thinking, how they will be responding to actions that are being taken. Will people see this? The, the question, will people see this as politically motivated is a question that only, only Democrats would ask. Or maybe, maybe Republicans uh, of a bygone era might have, might have asked that question of themselves. But it's still absolutely a question that Democrats tend to ask, even knowing that Republicans and, and under Trump and Trumpists and, and the deepest of the crazies of the MAGAs couldn't give a rat's ass about how this looks or how it offends anybody and any other and any other location or how they'll be perceived or or what the or what the consequences. No one gives a rat not a ah forget about it. I was going to say a tinker's dam. No one. I, I, oh, when's the last time someone said? Oh well. Ding, Dingo's kidneys, there you go. Uh, Douglas Adams, rest in peace. Uh, but Democrats do. And I, 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 can't, I can't explain why, except that it's appropriate. It is something that, it, it's a normal human reaction. It's if you want to actually do something that's good and right, if somewhere in your motivational process is the notion that the ultimate result of what you're doing will be good and will be good for a lot of people, for more than just your own personal interest, then I think it's highly natural and actually laudatory. It's laudable that you should be thinking about how people are reacting to it. But that also happens to be the diametrically opposed opposite of how Republicans tend to look at things these days because they are in a cult of personality and the personality who holds sway over them doesn't give a damn about what anyone thinks, feels, cares. He is a total clinical narcissist and, 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 and they have, whoever the they is, have basically adopted his personal, both his grievances and his methodologies have become the lingua franca of whatever passes for the majority of the Republican Party, if, if there is a Republican Party, I have no idea. There, it, it exists on ballots, it exists, it exists uh, as a location in state houses, but is it a functional party as we think of in the American system? I don't think so. It is nothing but a repository for grievance and anger, uh, a capacity for lying and self-delusion to an extent that I have never imagined possible, but there it is. Still, with all that, Democrats still have this need to do the right thing and to be perceived as such. If, you're, if there are any Republicans listening to this, yeah, your first reaction is, oh, come on now, you're just like us. Or maybe it's not just like us. Maybe it's not even being willing to look and see what like us is. And the fact that you're basically still following Donald and following his lies suggests that that level of critical thought and, and introspection may basically be unattainable. It, it, it escapes you regularly. But if you could, the, the, the more thoughtful members... Try anyone who ever worked for Donald, it seems, anyone on the inside, more and more have known from the beginning and more and more are coming out and saying that the guy is a liar, a cheat, that, ne that the whole uh, no election was stolen, that he ran a, an insurrection, that he's guilty of sin on, 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 on all of the national security documents, that he can't be trusted with the nation's secrets, that the notion of putting this man back in the White House is sheer insanity. That's beginning to appear within inner circle areas. It's not 
it's not within the base yet. Now, I, I, I say it's within inner circle for, for a very interesting reason. MSNBC has been running this compilation, this, this gang-up tape of late that shows different politicians, obviously the most vociferous and obvious of these being Bill Barr and Chris Christie. I'm not sure that they want to be lumped in the same room together. I don't know that anyone really wants to be lumped in a room with Bill Barr under any circumstances. But basically, more and more people at that level willing to say that Trump is a total fraud, that he's a total nothing, that he's guilty as all hell, and basically would be a disaster if he were to come back into office. You're hearing this more fully these days. You had a whole bunch of people testifying before the, uh, the grand jury that was conducted by Jack Smith running uh, now, we don't know how, we don't know what the parallel process is for the January 6th investigation, but certainly what we know of for the, and it's still sealed, by the way, the grand jury records are still sealed on all of these, what we know about what was being done in investigating the Mar-a-Lago's documents case, we know that people from all walks, all, again, all Trump employees, all Republicans coming, and basically eviscerating the guy. Now, maybe at least proving that these people are capable of sufficient introspection to understand the difference between truth and falsity, right and wrong, when the guy goes ahead and does something horrible. It doesn't, if you watch Donald go ahead and, 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 and take a, a secret document and show it to somebody at, uh, at Bedminster and Mar-a-Lago, it doesn't register in your brain as, oh, but he... He basically was taking clothing out of a box. He, he wasn't really, that wasn't really a real secret doc. Your brain doesn't begin to contrive all of these reasons why the obvious Occam's razor-ish explanation for what happened really isn't real. You're not going into that dark zone that apparently the, the real MAGA base is still in and, and may very well remain for quite some time. People are willing to turn on this guy. And the people who are willing to turn on him, it winds up, are the people in, that were closest to him. And, and well, and they turn on him. Turn on him is really probably not even the right term. Turn simply being telling the truth about would be the best way of putting it. Uh, there was a, an, an interesting, another interesting compilation that showed up on MSNBC uh, this morning. And it's a series of, of um, statements that Donald is making about, uh, there was Jeff Sessions, there was Mark Milley, there was uh, Powell from the Federal Reserve, there were, who, who else was in there? Um, a, f a, f a few other really high-level ranking people. And him praising the hell out of them as he brings them on board and then trashing the hell out of them as he fires them. Uh, it, it, it was absolutely magnificent to, to, to see the, 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 the total dichotomy, the total lie, the, 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 the once again reinforced reality that for Trump, loyalty is a one-way street. You must be loyal to him. You get nothing for it but to be, to, to be within the orbit of his magnificence. And, and, and this is something that was basically brought out again. People are, people are figuring him out. Now, we have a situation with him where there is going to be a trial. We don't know when. We know, we know that the, the New York trial will be in March of uh, 2024. It is hoped, and I, I would hope now, now that the story is out about the DOJ, now that DOJ has, presumably with the appointment of, of Smith a few months back, uh, gotten past its own uh, hesitancy about going after Trump on all fronts, January 6th, Mar-a-Lago, and God knows what else. One would think if you wanted to really 
see justice and really avoid the the look of political uh, uh, political motivation, be it political motivation to your own cause, you know, be, be you motivated to go after the guy or be you motivated to not go after the guy. If you wanted to eliminate any question one way or the other, you forget about who you might or might not be offending. And remember that you're the Department of Justice and your main job is to get justice done and justice should be served as rapidly as possible. This is not revenge. It's not to be served cold at some future date. If you want to get people not thinking that there's a political motivation one way or the other, get to trial as damn fast as you can. That, that would be a way of overcoming this obvious, well, what, is, what Carol Lennig has now, has now discovered, or, and what we all knew, basically, was this slow walking of the investigation of Donald Trump out of some uh, faulty sense of political appropriateness or judicial conservatism that was coming from Merrick Garland. In the end, he has, he has to take responsibility for this. And as I say, that all seems to have finally been overcome with the appointment of Jack Smith and that appointment now. Look at where we are. We're in mid-June of 2023. Jack Smith was appointed in, was it, was it January or fe when, when was Jack Smith appointed? I'm, it's been several months. So we're, we're obviously talking about ancient history, but there's a lot to be caught up on. And if I'm Jack Smith, I am pushing to get this trial before the New York trial. We've got that. Uh, we've got it all. It's, it, it's, it seems like that much of a slam dunk. Now, you would expect resistance to that idea, or you would expect more and more obstacles being thrown into the notion of a speedy trial from the usual sources, and, and, and among them I would include Fox. But then, you see, I predicted this, and again, I, not because I predicted it, but I, I, I suggested this was going to happen a long time ago, uh, it, a long time ago being two or three years, and have repeated it every so often. Remember, Fox News and the New York Post are part of the same mega corporation. This is all owned by the, the Murdoch family. And the Post, uh, with its uh, uh, Trumpy dumpty cover uh, of a few months back, and that was actually after the, let's see, was it after the 2022 elections, after, after, uh, after he basically got that all botched and everything, and they just basically, they basically decided they were going to trash him forever, and all they were going to do after that was just find ways to just go after Biden for everyone and anything, you know, Hunter, let's just talk Hunter Biden, forget about, but Trump was persona non grata for the New York Post. They basically were willing to take him on and, and do whatever they had to do with him at any time. But Fox itself, Fox TV, Fox News, no, 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 no. That, he was still pretty much the, the golden child, still pretty much the standard bearer, still the, the untouchable. And then, of course, we had the Tucker Carlson event that took place and all of that. And, 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 and I, I repeated it then that at some point Fox was going to part ways completely even with Trump. Why? Because as it became more and more apparent where this is going, where, where this will all wind up politically, where Trump will wind up physically, and where the country will wind up from a governance perspective beginning again or, or recycling again in 2024, the Murdoch family, and Rupert especially, who could smell these things a mile away and knows how to smell them and is as inside the process as anyone, he is the bellwether. He is the mine canary for where all this is going. And it would appear that the, that the Murdoch family has, by virtue of what I saw or have seen copies of from last night, has now made its decision 
that Trump will not be the next president, that there will not be a Republican coming into office. Might be, but it won't be Trump. And they basically now are unleashing all of their, they are allowing the truth of the man to be revealed. That, 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 sounds, that sounds like, by God, truth about Donald coming from Fox? Yeah. There was a Brit Hume interview last night, and Donald, it was done at, uh, at uh, Bedminster, and Donald, with Brit Hume sitting there, with the indictment in front of him, the Mar-a-Lago indictment, Trump wanting to do this interview, and Hume questioning him on what it is, what's in the indictment, and how Trump explains where the boxes were, why he has them, and it was, it was painful. That's all I can say. It was painful. Donald was rambling, incoherent, and Brit Hume gave him no real quarter. You would have imagined that there would have been an effort to give the guy cut the guys some slack, okay, you know, just nod your head a few times, do the usual, do what, what would have been the old Tucker Carlson thing, just nod and, and sort of, you know, I smell shit look face on his face and everything, and just sort of let it pass, or, or do sort of like, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the old Bill O'Reilly way of, uh, of allowing these things to slip by and sounding as though you're being rational, but even in the face of hearing irrational statements from your guests. No, that didn't happen last night. And there was a post-interview uh, discussion with, uh, with him and another one of the, the Fox people saying that basically, in so many words, Donald is toast. His, his, his defense of Mar-a-Lago is incoherent. So that tells me that Fox, going forward, basically now has decided that there is no way in hell Donald can become president. Now, they're not doing anything, from what I can see, to basically support any one of the other candidates over Trump, for the simple reason the other candidates aren't doing anything to support themselves vis-a-vis -vis Trump. Everybody is still waiting to see what the base will do. Fox recognizes that the base is, is sacrosanct. And they went ahead and did the Tucker Carlson toss-off, knowing that they would lose some base, but apparently the, the, the statistics seem to say that much of it drifted back to them anyway. And having learned from that what to expect, in other words, some yeah, there'll, be this, there'll be this brief foray into the world of uh, One America News or uh, wherever else, uh, you know, uh, uh, the other one that's out there, you know, th that, are, that are minuscule by comparison to, tr to, to Fox's overall audience. But they'll drift off, but they'll come back anyway, as long as we have enough uh, uh, anti-Biden stuff or maybe, uh, you know, Hunter stories or, some, or something like that. And Janine could be crazed over something or other. But Donald now seems to be on the chopping block, much as he was and is gone from the New York Post. He's on the chopping block for Fox. This may be a one-off thing. I mean, it, it happens. It, it began last night. But it will obviously evolve and have implications going forward over the days and weeks again uh, ahead. As I, as I said earlier, you know, we, we have this desire, we have this need to want to predict all things from a given moment in time. I don't know where this is going to lead. There is still going to be a Republican primary. There will still be people voting. There are going to be, there is a base. The base is still irrationally, firmly committed to Donald. The base now increasingly will be operating apart from, apart from the media, which has always been or at least the largest chunk of the conservative, whatever passes for conservative media, 
that has been Donald's greatest source of support. Donald is down to, I don't know, Twitter and, and uh, what was it, Truth, oh God, Truth Social, whatever the hell that is supposed to be or mean. And, and basically, whatever, whatever is squeezable out of One America News and, and the other one that's out there. And, of course, all the wacko, all the wacko blogs and all the wacko sites that are out there in social media. But it, it's, it's a decreasing world. And you have to, I have to, take into account that the Murdochs basically are the ones who have a a prescient vision of where things are going. And they're not afraid, they've been afraid forever, but of late, they're not afraid to say that Donald is basically not, not worthy and will not be, well, will, will be convicted. And even if the base sticks with him exactly as it is right now, will not be the next president of the United States. That he can't beat Joe. That for everything people are saying about Joe being old, and geez, I wish there were someone else. But when push comes to shove and a twice convicted, possibly incarcerated guy tries to, to run against Joe Biden in November of 2024, America will overwhelmingly choose Joe, for as old as he is and doddering as he is, but Joe who basically still carries this democratic gene in him to try to please and make peace with everyone, to try to basically bring the country together, that they'll choose that over an incarcerated, convicted guy who basically is out to, who is promising a revenge tour, who, has, who, will, who could never possibly ever be trusted with the nation's secrets, much less the nuclear codes of the United States. This, this is what will be out there as the, as the political ads crank up. And, and, and look where we are. This is June of 2023. The election is in November of 2024. We are still talking, folks, 17 months. 17 months away, and this being America now, the, the, the presidential uh, election uh, cycle never really goes away. It just, it just gets slightly modified immediately after the election, but begins to ramp up by the end of the first year of any presidential term. I think this is where we are until, of course, we become rational and do something like the British system, which totally and completely prohibits all sorts of electioneering and election work until a until a small window prior to any election and then controls very, very assiduously how much can be spent and, and under what circumstances, for what purposes, by any candidate. We're nowhere near that right now. We're at the, we're at the exact opposite of it. We are going, our politics and our sports are, are all going in the same direction with the amount of money and the, in, the insane un, limitlessness of all that. But it does come back to roost. That no matter how much money Donald can raise, nothing can overcome the piece of garbage that he is as a potential president and was the garbage that he was as an actual president over the course of four years. No one, more than anything else, no one will be able to trust this guy with the secrets of this nation. Yes, the comeback on the Republican side, but Joe Biden, but what about Mike Pence, but what about Joe? And the obvious answer will be right there in your face. One of them, one of them will not be serving a jail sentence between Biden and Pence for basically mishandling and, and attempting to sequester and attempting to, to show off, and God knows what else, the top secret information of the United States. One of them will not be serving a jail sentence. One of them will not have been convicted for doing that. Now, which one would you think would be the better president of the United States? I don't care if you are the most rabid, rabid of, of Trumpian supporters. 
the simple fact that your guy got convicted, and this is going to happen, and everybody's out there saying it again and again and again on more and more on all sides. The guy is toast when it comes to this. The, the, the only hope he has is that someone else will be elected and basically pardon him. And, and, and his opponents came out and said this. I mean, this is the Republican platform. We're going to spring Donald from prison. Vote for me. Do you realize, well, of course you realize, how corrupt and how debased and how, and how mentally ill that position is. That's what the Republicans are down to. Now, is this where they will be in 17 months? Will, will everything be, again, as, 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 our, as, our, as our propensity seems to be, to take the snapshot of the moment and simply say, this is it, and just overlay that going forward and say, this is the emotion, this is the feeling. Nothing will change among the base. Uh, nothing will change uh, among, among the, the field. Uh, no, things will change. But what will not change, what, what the, the, let's, let's, let's say the slope that we see developing, the, the glide slope, if you will, uh, in terms of support for Donald from Fox, and that's a major, major element here. That is about to go bye-bye. Donald is pulling in his fences closer and closer. His supporters will emotionally need to do that. They will have to, to get their fix of grievance, they will have to share his grievance. His irrationality will have to become their irrationality. No matter what he says or does, it'll be he's the greatest that ever was. When he is convicted and sentenced and incarcerated, it will be unjust, it'll be horrible, it'll be political. But by then, Republicans will be really, really at each other's throats over, well, how the hell did we get here? Now, that's a prediction. Within the Republican Party, when you see Fox pulling up stakes and running away from Trump, when you hear all the people who worked for him doing that, when you hear, when you hear what is coming from Jack Smith, when you see what's happening with Mar-a-Lago, when you understand that a conviction is inevitable, not, not possible, not, it's inevitable, and you know that there's still this base of people who are absolutely pinned to his grievances, and you watch him in an interview, and you watch his irrationality build. You know that even this base is going to have to go through some kind of a transition, if only because Donald will begin to disintegrate more and more. He'll never give up. Mary Trump, his niece, you know, again, too much and never enough. That book is so worth reading for anyone who wants to understand this guy, written by, written by a professional psychologist who happens to be someone who, who was basically screwed over. Her dad was screwed over, and she by him as well, uh, in, in, in part of some kind of a settlement over grandpa's money back in the day. You, you, you will see the, the base is going to have to respond to Donald to the insanity of Donald. And there are going to be, if we follow analogies on this, there are going to be people who will become less <clears throat> and less enamored of him. If you have, if you have uh, 75 or 80% of the Republican Party willing to believe still that the election was stolen, that number will begin to drop. If you happen to have uh, uh, 35 or 40 percent of the Republican Party as the hardcore uh, primary voting base, that number will drop slightly also and may be replaced by other Republicans, depending on how this plays out. We don't know. What I can what I would predict absolutely would be that there will still be a residual support for Donald, not only when 
he gets convicted and sent to prison, not only when he loses the election, but maybe even 10 years later, a very interesting point was brought out by Robert Meacham. Um, John Meacham, sorry, a presidential historian, brilliant guy, <clears throat> that, with, um, that with McCarthy, Joe McCarthy, even after he was censured and kicked out of the Senate and then, then died, uh, died an alcoholic not that long afterwards, years later, as studies were being done about the guy, something like 30% of the country still thought he was a great man who had done the right thing. Joe McCarthy, one of the most vilified human beings, if you will, in American history, known for being a bully, known for just basically using his power to, to basically crush people because he could, and, and, and taking advantage of a mood in the country and making sure that he was able to basically uh, garner their grievances and, and, and get them to, to support... Sound familiar? Years later, as much as a decade later, well, well, at least, well, I'm sorry, let me get this right. At least at the point that, I think it's at the time of his death, which was about a year after he was uh, basically left the Senate in shame and all that stuff. He was censured and he left and blah, blah, blah. Something that even, that, that Trump would never have done one way or the other. McCarthy's support in America was somewhere at around 30%. Now, understand something, and we've said this on this show a number of times in the past. There is this undercurrent within America, and, 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 very, and I can't speak for other democracies, I, but only in America, at least. As long as we've been taking surveys about ourselves, what our political beliefs are, there is always a group of somewhere between 25 and 35%, roughly almost a third of the country, a quarter to a third of the country, who, given the option, would find a way to burn the place down in the name of making it better, in the name of it's wrong, we can't have it this way, we got to start over, get rid of this. It, they are going all in the wrong direction. It's, and it's typically... It's typically a reactionary group reacting to this inexorable progressive-ism and progressive policies that have driven this country historically. The change and the, and the, the desires they have there, it's always about, for, for this group of a, of a quarter to a third, it's always about going back to... And, and what you're going back to has images, they, they tend to be exclusionary uh, periods where my group was over your group and I felt safer without understanding all the implications of basically excluding people or, or wantonly uh, criminalizing or punishing or, or, or basically putting people in positions of of, of wanting people to be as frightened as you are of them. Th this is always an element there, but that element tends not to be <laughs> as powerful as it might otherwise, or, or its perceived power is not what it is right now within the Republican base. What I would suggest also in the way of things under the general topic of change to keep an eye on is that this perception of the power of the base, whether or not it, 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 it exerts itself in the, in the Republican primary, this will begin to recede. This too will begin to go back under the rocks into the dark places where these people who would take the country down reflexively have tended to be, okay? They have not been able to take down the country. The, the last time that happened effectively, of course, was the Civil War. We did essentially took ourselves down and then reassembled ourselves. But after that, it was when the Ku Klux Klan basically was beginning to take control of America. 
And it was. I, I, people don't understand how embedded the Klan was and how much fear there was in the post-Reconstruction America going into the early 20th century. How powerful that was. And it took a while. And they were very organized, the Klan. And it was, it was a, an ultra, very, very pervasive thought and feel. But that began to dissipate. I would suggest that the, the, the cult of Trump, even though it's bringing out a lot of the feelings that were present among Klan's people of the time, the fear of everything, the fear of someone taking away what I have, the fear of someone replacing me, all that stuff, it's repeated, but because it's focused on Donald, its capacity to sustain even its perceived power will be far less than the power the Klan had back in the early 20th century. This, this is me being a commentator and suggesting it. Which all sums up to say, we're in for a lot of changes. And the notion that you take a snapshot of today and you simply extrapolate it outward, relatively unchanged, how will we deal with our lives if this is the situation 17 months from now? No, we don't know what the situation will be 17 months from now, except that it will change. I, I use as a, major, as a major bellwether, though, of change, the, facts, the fact that Fox is beginning to break its ties with Donald. That is major, major. Watch how, if you, if you want to observe this, and observe it quietly, I'm not so quiet about it. If you want to observe quietly, watch how this begins to affect your friends and family that know, that, that are basically Trumpian, Watch, watch their reactions to things. Watch their emotions about things. Listen to Donald as he gets closer and cl When Fox says that he's toast in the trial coming up, you know that's reaching a lot of people in the Trumpian crowd. Watch there and see how this begins to evolve. I see internecine battles within the Republican ranks that will be epic between now and the election of 2024. But that's, that's my opinion. That's why I call myself a commentator. It will not be dull. It will be fascinating. And I would go so far as to say that this, <laughs> this introspective internecine Almost a cleansing that may that may it may go in that direction. I, I I hope it's not a total destruction because there are plenty of 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 people who know better in the Republican ranks who just basically were too afraid to move forward. That we may that they, the Republican Party may grow a pair and find strength within the people who have the right kind of strength in there. And go back to being Republicans again, good old-fashioned Republicans. Keep an eye open for this. I take hope in that notion, that the Republican Party can basically reemerge as a viable, functional party. Has it done it yet? No. But there are signs. It's possible. Not in time to win the 2024 election, and probably not in time or not in a position to basically be in the White House for a while. For a while. But this is why we play the games, and this is why we hope. This is why we believe. This is why I observe and I talk, and it's why many, many people in this country are active and care about this country evolving in a positive way. Don't be afraid. Don't give up. Be aware that it's all change. Positive change like negative change, there, 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 are, there are bumps in the road. It's never easy, it's never perfect. But it's change. And we can't survive as a species or a nation or a family or individually without it. We can make the best of it. Absolutely. 
Much of that begins with being honest about what is going on. Being truthful, first to ourselves and then everybody else around us. Oh, fasten your seatbelts, we're in for a bumpy ride. <laughs> and, and we're also in for a little jazz. This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to center-left radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming, and we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. 
We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can on a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever you can contribute to make center-left radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident. And as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Central F Radio, thank you. You've been listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. When Fox begins to go out and have at it at Donald, you know they smell something changing. And they also feel safe enough within their own corporate walls to see themselves more as a, uh, maybe an arbiter, but more as a reporter of what will be happening within Republican ranks without getting burnt for doing it. Oh, we're in for interesting times.